Hello and welcome back to the Austrian Eye podcast with your usual host, Manuel Poseca. Today, the Austrian Eye podcast is in Salzburg, visiting the Thoughts 21, an innovation conference that by the time this episode is out, has taken place from the 15th to the 16th of March in the city of Salzburg. This year, there's a special interest in artificial intelligence, dedicating the stage of AI to different presentations and discussions with a vast selection of speakers and topics. I had the pleasure to meet several of the speakers and to record in total three interviews with the following guests. Wolfgang Trutschnik from the University of Salzburg on the AI Bachelor and Master program, as well on IDA Lab, an applied AI research lab that collaborates closely with companies in the region to enable funding of basic research projects and support local companies to stay ahead of their competitors. The second interview is with Gabriele Pollack on Salz21 a panel discussion on trustworthy AI and a workshop program that she has developed with Karina Ziedmeier that helps AI companies to develop products and services that are aligned with regulations and legal requirements. And last but not least, Mario Tutor from Stoic Analytics on what holds AI adoption back for small and medium companies in Austria and what is needed to overcome those hurdles. This is one of those episodes and I hope you enjoyed and will check out the others. Hello, Mario. Thank you very much for coming on to the show. Thank you for the invitation. I'm very happy to have you today here, here live on the SARS-21, where you have, you have been participating in a panel discussions earlier today. And I hope you're going to talk a bit about this panel, but as well about your work with Stoic Analytics, your own company, and your perspective on why digitalization and in particular artificial intelligence has let's say, or why SMEs have challenges and troubles to, to make really use of the, of the capabilities and the powers of artificial intelligence within their companies. But before we go there, maybe we can start with you giving a short introduction about yourself, your background, and what brought you to AI. Yes. So my name is Mario Zutza. I'm currently located in Kufstein in Tyrol. I have Croatian roots. So my father is Croatian. My mother is Austrian. Grew up in Tyrol working for Planze, so that was my first summer job. And then I quickly decided I don't want to work in the hard metal industry for my life. So I decided to go studying, which I did in Innsbruck, economics uh, and information systems. And yeah, it was a great experience. But when you study, in some cases, you don't really know where the focus is, especially in economics. It's a very broad topic. But I was always interested in numbers and statistics. So that's why I ended up writing a diploma thesis about multivariate statistics for mobile applications. Mm -hmm. And this was basically my entry point in digital jobs. Right after university, I went to Japan for half a year, worked there for Mitsubishi Fuso. So this is the truck division where Daimler had a big stake. And also there, the topic digitalization was already big. But the other thing what I also learned was the Japanese are quite ahead technology-wise to Europe. So basically all the innovation you see here, you would see several years earlier in Japan. So I was impressed about the technology stack and what Japanese would enable with it. So that's why I was always interested in the topic. Yeah. And after my return, I basically moved to Salzburg. My first job was at a big web agency in Salzburg. I basically became web project manager. So we did concepts from basically from scratch. So if somebody wanted a relaunch of a website or a mobile application, I was there consulting. We did the implementation in-house, the design. So I learned at early stages technical project management. And yeah, one stack was always after we finish a website or a application, of course, you want to track something. So how many people download my app? How many people are on my website? So the web tracking was one of the first things Basically, I had to deal with a digital marketing side. Mm -hmm. I have now more than 15 years of experience in digital marketing. And there, basically, analytics always was a very important topic. Yeah, but after four and a half years, I decided I'm searching for a new challenge. And I found a very interesting job at Swarovski. So I moved back to Tyrol, became a project manager at Swarovski in an internal web agency. There, I built up a team basically for email marketing. So that was, that was my first job. And after that, I migrated to a new position after doing the KPMG certification as a technical project, project manager and did a large-scale uh, IT projects. So, mm -hmm. for example, global 
global backup solution for Swarovski, implementation of a customer service tool, stuff like that. But in essence, in project management, analytics is also a big part because you have to stick to the budget, you have to stick to timelines, and in many cases, it's not that easy to stick on the route. Yeah, and then in 2017, I got a really big opportunity because Swarovski decided to found an internal analytics team. And I was fortunate enough that they couldn't find people on the market. So they were searching for data scientists and data engineers. They invited a few, but quickly turned out that their estimation about the salary is much higher than Swarovski wanted to pay. Mm -hmm. So they were asking internally if somebody would would, would be willing to lead a project for implementation of a data lake. And I accepted the challenge. And that's how I became basically the team lead for advanced analytics, machine learning, and artificial intelligence in a corporate IT. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in the first year, the main topic was to implement a data lake. At the beginning, of course, I had to learn a lot of stuff in this first year. So for many topics were completely new for me. But quickly it turned out, so first of all, we did basically an assessment in-house Uh, Which kind of applications do we have? And where is the gap? What do we really need? And we quickly found out that Swarovski used various applications, especially for analytics. So we had various installations of R, various installations of Python, MATLAB, a tool like Unscrambler, which is used in a production facility. And basically I learned there are many people within the company which you would classically describe as a data scientist, but Mm -hmm. they don't see themselves as data scientists. So for example, the people who do the programming for the interfaces for machines and robots, classically seen, they know about statistics, they know about programming, and they have a domain expertise, but they would never ever call themselves a data scientist. Yeah, but so we did the assessment together with a consulting company, quickly found out we have two large gaps. So the first one was data storage, especially for unstructured data in a large scale, mm-hmm. because basically Swarovski was a very conservative company storing everything in-house on-premise. And with large data sets, you start to struggle a little bit. And the second one was the topic data integration. So we didn't really have a consol- consolidated tool for that. And yeah, there was a program or another project running about data integration, but we knew The finalization of the project would take more than a year. So it's the classical approach for big companies. You have a project which runs a year and then another year for implementation. And in many cases, especially in analytics, you're too late when it's there. So then Mm -hmm. the market already shifted. Yeah, so we found a, a small company which supported us basically for the implementation. So the decision was we do a multi cloud project because we had basically all three cloud providers already in-house using different services. So there was one service where we moved basically databases to AWS. There was another team in e-commerce marketing. They already used a big stack from Google, not only Google Analytics, but the premium license of Google. Mm -hmm. And with that, of course, many consulting hours and yeah, additional features from Google. And finally, we also shifted to the public cloud of Microsoft. So Swarovski was one of the first companies which switched to the public cloud. So the question was then, in the end, which service do we want to use? And I forgot, on top of that, we had also SAP, of course, so all the Mm -hmm. ERP, material management, so many, many different SAP applications. And now the question is, if you so the the project goal in the end was to to store large scales of data in structured and unstructured formats, for all business units of Swarovski Crystal Business. So this was important. We did not service all business units of Swarovski, but mm-hmm. specific ones. And to facilitate basically analytics projects. So, and we then pretty quickly realized the implementation plan, which we need. So the first data lake we built in AWS with Terraform, knowing that it might happen that we have to shift another cloud provider. Uh, which basically happened, but I will tell, tell you later about it. Yeah, we started with the classics. So predictive maintenance was a huge topic, text mining for customer service, image recognition for the sorting process, so quality assurance in the manufacturing process, but also on the customer side for Instagram analytics. Yeah, and then I still remember the platform went live on the 23rd of 
December in the first year. So it was really important that it goes live before Christmas. We were, we did night shifts and over hours that the platform goes live. And initially we had five users on the platform. So we, we had basically our internal team, which was not yet complete, I have to admit. And a few people where we knew they need a scalable environment. But just to understand it correctly, as you said, like this platform that you have been developing then would have been or was planned to be used for internal projects. So to provide the infrastructure, I mean, if you understand it correctly, for internal Swarovski analytics projects? Both, basically. Initially, definitely internal projects, because I would say the main drivers for it were two dimensions. The first one was cost reductions. The second one was optimization of processes. And Swarovski had a big project with migrating the current uh, manufacturing site to a new manufacturing site. So they knew already. Uh, so their goal was to build the m most modern crystal factory in the world, which is a smart factory. And we knew it's a surgery on an open heart because you take off machines which are in production, bring them to a new place and get them in production again and hope that basically everything works like before, which of course it doesn't. But we had already an internal team for image recognition in the manufacturing site. And they were in total, I think, 10 people specialized in the topic. And they had real challenges with scalability already. So they mm -hmm. knew they made tons of images and it's really hard to store them on-premise. And it's really hard to analyze them, a large scale of, of, of those images. Yeah, so what we basically did, so first of all, you could buy something from a vendor, you could go to Microsoft, Amazon, Google, basically tell them you want the public cloud version. Maybe it's maintained by some provider, but we had an incident. So basically we got the information from the CIO that we have to immediately switch to a multi-cloud environment. There were some licensing issues, issues related to that. So that was the reason why we had to do it. And at that point, basically not many companies were even talking about the topic yet, mm -hmm. but We had a very good implementation partner and they basically said, we can set it up like this, that you could migrate to a new platform with some challenges, but we can try. And yeah, so, and we went live basically with loads of open source features. So we basically found out a large majority of the employees use R. The reason for that is that most people study social sciences and currently at universities, they teach R for social sciences. So economics, political science and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And on the other hand, you have hardcore programmers who work basically in Eclipse Foundation environments, or they already use Python, CI, CD pipeline, stuff like that. And of course, they have a much more technical view on things. They want to code. They want proper pipelines for coding and to go live. So that was the second stack. So we knew approximately 80% use R, 20% use Python. We knew we have to keep MATLAB for very sophisticated use cases, but we basically got rid of everything else. So there were some licensing costs related to other analytics applications, and we basically said, we are going to replace those. Yeah, and then we found out many people have, have already installed R and Python on their local laptops, which was at that point not really allowed or serviced by the IT. Mm -hmm. And the other part was, a security aspect. So the IT security department basically told us nobody's caring about the patching, nobody's caring about the updates, that's not acceptable. So we need an environment where we basically have everything in one house and it's managed by IT. So, and that was the goal. So basically we said, we are going to deploy containers in the cloud where you can provision either in our studio environment or a Python environment in the cloud. So it takes you a few minutes until the The node is up and then you can you do your analytics work and if you're finished you shut it down again so that was the goal and everything is maintained and serviced and we care about the patches and upgrades yeah and in the first year as i said we had very few clients but they, that changed very quickly so in the second year we migrated to 50 users and after that it got even more exponentially the reason for that was people were basically asking about trainings And initially we paid for those trainings. So we sent people to VFI, BFI, other educational institutions. Uh, and the demand got so high that we basically had to help the trainings in-house. So we said, okay, rather than sending everybody to Innsbruck or somewhere, we do it in-house. And the cool thing about, was, about it was that we basically 
could already set the users in the cloud. So everybody had already their environment. We could do the training basically already on the data lake and show them how the system works. So that was a very smooth entry point. Because after that, you finish your, your training, you go out and you basically use the same application when you leave the training. So that was, was really good for, for scalability things. So basically, we did some foundation training on Python and R. And basically, a year later or two, people came back with analytics projects to us. So that was interesting, an interesting development. On the other hand, we had large discussions. So we had an existing SAP business warehouse. And the question was, is the business warehouse the same as a data lake? Will we use in future both applications? Will we not? So this was quite a, quite a struggle, long discussions, especially about data governance, because in a business warehouse, you talk about single source of truth, which doesn't exist in a data lake. And we also, I mean, the people who are working on the projects are completely different. So business warehouse means past analytics, so historical analytics of large-scale data, which are defined KPIs within the company, maybe use a little bit of prediction, but definitely no unstructured data. And the more advanced team, the data scientists, they use completely different tools with prognosis into the future. And yeah, they also want basically more kind of flexibility, like in a data lab that they can install their own packages, play around with data. Yeah. And these are all topics you have to clarify at the beginning. I see. Interesting. Yeah, Many of the things that you've been mentioning, obviously, in this journey <clears throat> that you've been describing, as well as things, I think, common to many other companies, right? And, and definitely, like, as you said, like, in focus of things that we wanted to talk about is exactly where some of those challenges are for different SMEs and their <clears throat> pain in digitalization and application of artificial intelligence. So I think, exactly as you said, like, the experience that you gained there definitely is very valuable. And uh, as we already said, I think often it's a, it's something that other companies are facing as well, or challenges that other companies are facing. But with this, maybe you can bring it a bit to like the panel discussion that you have been participating today, which was, as I understand, exactly around this topic. Can you maybe, for our listeners, give a short introduction about what was the panel about and maybe a short summary as well? Yes, definitely. So the topic of the panel was smart artificial intelligence and how can companies use it? So what, what is it and how can companies use it? But during my time at Swarovski, I basically realized when I went, so I went to loads of conferences in Germany, Austria, Switzerland. And basically what I found out, I always met the same companies. So it's large scale, multinational, really big companies, banks, insurances. So these are typically the companies who, which have a lot of money to invest in technologies like that. And from my time at Swarovski, I knew it takes quite investment upfront that you have a running platform and you have a data science team with data engineers and data scientists with a quite high salary, I would say. And it bothered me somehow. So in the third year, I went there and I met again the same people. And I thought, what is going on? Why are there no small and medium-sized enterprises? Yeah, and in 2020, I basically decided to quit my job at Swarovski to be become self-employed, found my own business, which is called Stoic Analytics. And I started focusing on small and medium-sized enterprises. I also participated in an accelerator program for startups, but they have exactly the same issues. And what I found out is, so there is a very interesting digitalization study from Austria by the Chamber of E-Commerce or Chamber of Commerce together with Arthur D. Little which was published the first time in 2017 and then again, again until 2019. And there was one page which caught my attention, which was the barriers for uh, implementation of digitalization in general. And it was always the three main topics. So the first one was GDPR, General Data Protection Regulation, a legal issue. But I have to say this chapter basically concerns all companies. So it doesn't matter if, it's, if you're big, if you're small, you have to deal with the topic. And of course, as an analyst, you want to take this seriously because you will have to deal with sensible data and you will want to follow an ethics code. So I had some challenges where people approach me with non-ethical projects and then you have also have, you have to have the guts to say no. So that's one thing. So my recommendation here is take the concern seriously. It's an important topic. Collect all the, the concerns and answer them. So right at the beginning, if somebody says this is not secure, uh, please answer the, the question. So it's very important for analytics projects. 
But the other two that I mentioned were more interesting. So the first one was costs, and the second one was missing know-how. And now the question is, what can I do as a business leader to implement artificial intelligence in my company? So the first thing you could do is, and that's what, what I discussed in the panel today. So the first thing you could do is you implement, no, you start to learn coding. So you would say, okay, I have a deficit there. I want to le learn coding by myself. But of course, if you work for a very small business, in most cases, you won't have time. It's, it's time consuming. So you have to put in some effort, time costs, and it's quite long-term. So you have to invest many, many hours to reach a skill level where it's, where it's an added value for the company. Secondly, you could basically empower employees if you find some who are willing to learn coding. It's also not that easy. And also from my personal experience, I can tell most of the software developers leave the country. So because the demand is so high at the moment, it's really hard to find good programmers on the market. And data scientists, I mean, they are so tremendously expensive because the market is completely empty. So the question is, what can SMEs then do? In my opinion, there are two approaches. So the first one is get a small company, get an expert who consults you on a specific topic. So uh, start small, fail cheap, because in many cases you will fail. I still say three out of four projects fail because of data quality issues, but it's an ongoing process. So my advice here would be if somebody, a business leader has a gut feeling about an analytics project, or if he sees we have repetitive tasks, which we can get rid of, then these are exactly the points I would tackle. Um, but the th second thing then is, we also see emerging platforms at the moment, artificial intelligence platforms, which basically shift the focus from coding to data uploading or data maintenance. So basically what you do is you use a platform for a specific use case, you upload your data, you label your data if necessary, and then the system gives you a response which you can use for your business. That's a feasible approach. Some critics would say, okay, I don't know what's happening in this black box. That's true. But that's a strategic decision, which you have to do as a business owner. So you would say either I want to invest in long-term know-how and have it in-house and know what's happening in the black box, or I use a service for a specific use case. And today I presented, for example, Google AutoML, which is a service which you can use basically for free at the moment. It's really, really powerful, for example, for labeling data of videos or images for a specific use case. So let's say you have a pizzeria and you want to make sure that every pizza that leaves the house has is the right pizza. So you could do an image classifier for the pizza. And the third one is embedded analytics. So to every conference you go, to every meeting you go, you will find some offerings of software as a service platforms, which basically tell you, give, give us your data and we will give you insights. But the challenge in many cases is, how do I get my data there? Because in some cases, you have a lot of data. So these are the challenges of SMEs. And if you overcome those challenges, you have a little bit of a different problem, which on the market is called the long tail of AI, which is very easy to explain. So the big companies like Google, Microsoft, Uber, Airbnb, they have so much data and so much clients. If they build large-scale applications or digital products, they benefit millions of people. So the business impact is really high. If you're lucky, you have an e-commerce website. Basically, you do a product recommendation engine that's very similar because many websites use product recommendation for a similar purpose. But if you're a small business owner, first of all, you have the problem you don't have a lot of data in many cases. And the second problem is even if you have data and you know which algorithms to apply, it's, again, time-consuming. So you need somebody who gives, takes your hand and basically tells you which applications are out there which you could use for your daily work. And, yeah, that's currently my mission in my company. So I want to support SMEs and help them wherever I can to find proper solutions for their problems. Interesting. <clears throat> this was actually would have been my question. that Because, like, the things that you mentioned for SMEs to cope with the challenges that they have in order to apply artificial intelligence, many ways in the business, right? Is that you said, okay, either they invest in internal training, which is very time consuming, or they maybe use services which are available to others, right? At least from my experience as well, right? It is very challenging for the, for the people that are not trained in this area, right? In the first place to understand what can they actually do? What if at all are possibilities of artificial intelligence in this sense to distinguish between something which is really solvable with limited effort that they have and which is just not 
just impossible, right? So this obviously, and as well, like if you mentioned already, and we're probably talk, we're going to talk a bit more about this modern types of services or AI supported services to really understand even what is, what is out there, right? Yeah. Because like it's, it's a growing field. There's so much going on, obviously. And if you're a small SME somewhere focusing on getting, doing your business, right? And it's obviously they, they don't have this knowledge and they don't have the necessary resources to go out and, and search and search and search. So to understand it correctly, then you see exactly your work with your company, but as well, like as a possible solution for companies to find experts in the field that that help them to first somehow kickstart their projects to, to get them an understanding of what what the possibilities of artificial intelligence for their their companies, and then, as you said, like maybe start out to the beginning and that bit of a question when you think about like these interactions with those companies. Would the beginning would it be that? They maybe start using services, external services to solve first business use cases, and then over time build up more and more expertise and then maybe do even some kind of development in-house or should, will they always or should they always rely on, on external services? I would say it depends on the case because if you have a closer look at the digital, digitalization study, you will find there are very few companies who have already some sort of knowledge in-house. And that's a challenge, right? I mean, if you have some knowledge in-house, you're very lucky. You're already on the train, which goes really fast. But if you're on the regional train, as I always call it, and you get surpassed by the railjet express, that's exactly happening on the market. If you don't deal with it, with the topic artificial intelligence, if you ignore it, there will, may, will be many trains which basically overtake you. And at some point, you will realize you're really far back. So my first advice is you can always jump on this train. So even if you did nothing for years... It doesn't matter because we are very exciting times at the moment. Secondly, you need a CEO who has a vision. And by the way, this is not only for SMEs, it's also for large enterprises. So I saw many large enterprises fail because the CEO was not convinced about the investment and the return on, return on investment. It's the same for big and small enterprises. And if you say, okay, uh, you're drowning in work, that's basically happening in SMEs. You do all the stuff by yourself and with your very small team. And you have a feeling you could do a small analytics project, then tackle this. So what we did basically is we collect what I always do with my clients is in the first workshop, we try to gather as many ideas as possible. So we use design thinking for that. We gather a small team, people bring their ideas to a table, and we collect analytics use cases. And then basically as a second step, what we do is we do a description we set on paper, what's the return on investment? So is this a cost saving? Is it a process optimization? What is it? And what's the monetary value? And the third one is, how complicated is, is it to bring this on the ground? Is it easy? Is it medium? Or is it very complicated? And then you get an Excel spreadsheet, maybe with 10, 15 use cases. And if you do the sorting, you have two candidates or three candidates, which are the most promising ones. And these are exactly the ones you would start with. And that's my recommendation to SMEs. Get, an, get a team from the market. In many cases, you can also get support by the government. So AWS, FFG, even regional fundings for projects. So at the moment, we have the AWS funding for artificial intelligence until end of March, which is currently ongoing. And the thing is, you would build up the knowledge within your team. So first step, the CEO defines a vision. And the second step is you incorporate this vision in your company and it could be with a very first small project but people should deal with the topic and people should understand what is data why do we use it which, which kind of data do we even have in-house which applications do we use this is very this is a very important groundwork so even at Swarovski we were struggling with that so we, it took us a year to have an overview of all the applications we had in-house so we ended up with more than 470 applications and now you can imagine the data landscape is huge, so where should I even start? And I see the same picture also for SMEs. So in many cases, they don't even know which kind of applications are in-house, which kind of data do we collect, and which kind of questions could we answer. And then if you say, okay, I don't know where to start, it's really hard, then you would go to a conference like SALTS21 and let yourself inspire. So the Latin word inspirare means inhale, so just inhale what you see, what you hear. Maybe you get some inspiration for a project. So that's also some part of my work to inspire people with new projects. 
and yeah, and then you're ready to go, I would say. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And as you already pointed out, right, from your perspective, how much really has this to be happening top down? Because uh, as you said, like there should, there must be the support of the, of the CEO and similar, like to really have this vision and be, as I said, like allocate the resources to it, right. And give the people, uh, I would imagine as well, a certain freedom in order to be operating, experimenting with this and like maybe do so under the right, uncertainty to not know exactly how much of a return you get initially. Yeah. I would say the market determines the way. So in Japanese, we say do, it's the way. And what I see, so I teach also at the college in Innsbruck, MCI, Management School of Innsbruck. And basically we teach there Python and R. So now we send those students off to the market and their expectation is that they go to a company and that they can unfold their knowledge. And if they hit a company which doesn't offer those services, basically they get frustrated and leave. So that's a problem. And as a business owner, of course, you want to unfold the full potential of your employees. I mean, first of all, it's really, really hard to find people at the moment. And secondly, they expect some specific surrounding. They want to work at home. They want to have specific working hours, but also they want to have access to data. So that's something you have to think about. So you, if you employ people in that area, the first question will be, on which data sets can I work? Please give me access. And if you then start discussing about data access, then you have a problem because people will do something else or leave the company. So basically, we edu educate students in that area. And I think all companies have to react to that and basically fulfill the, the needs of their employees. But to answer your question, I always think it's a top-down approach. So if the CEO is not convinced, I've seen so many companies fail because the CEO in the end thought, this is just a waste of money. And then the whole thing is stopped. People get fired. The department is dissolved. And basically, you stop everything. And that's the wrong approach from my point of view. Mm -hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Maybe one thing <clears throat> I wanted to touch upon is, as you already said, like there always exists this option to some extent to buy or build, right? As you said, yes. like you can go out and you can maybe use a service one side a consultant to some extent to help you to understand like what are the possibilities, but then as well, like once you know to some extent, okay, what are the business cases that probably will bring most value and are easiest uh, to achieve as the first use cases that you decide on that how much do you use like external services as we have been describing there, as we said, like included often we talk about the transition into cloud using cloud services, they provide not only the infrastructure for many things, but directly the services that you can use. So from your perspective, can, can you maybe, our listeners, help a bit to understand how do you come to these decisions? What are the things that you have to include in these decisions of, as I said, like how much do you go long-term, invest really look in, in the company, or how much do you maybe, as a first step, use a service externally? Especially when you think about your, when thinking about your time at Swarovski as well, right? You have been building up as well this data lake. So there's a lot before you can even then have some kind of use case. You have so much investment into maybe a company that has no, not the right compute, not the right storage infrastructure, doesn't have this, this they would invest a long time to maybe then even be able then to start even the first analytics use cases. Yes, that's a very good question because I hear it all the time. Basically what, what we try to do at Swarovski is so that the projects determine the infrastructure. So... If you talk about an image recognition project, you deal with a completely different infrastructure than with text mining. So it, that's why it's important to identify those projects at first. And then what we did is basically we went into a price estimation. So we had three defined projects with defined targets. And we said, okay, what is the necessary upfront infrastructure investment for that? And then you have the discussion about capital expenditure, operational expenditure, because you don't invest in your uh, IT system on-premise, but you invest in a cloud. So this is also from controlling department, some com something completely different. So, and what we did, so we, we identified the modules which, which we need, the tools which we need, and we had very first price estimations. I think in total, we invited over 10 companies, got different price estimations, different perspectives, how they would tackle this with strategies, especially also data governance. And then you have a price tag on the table. And now it's up to you to decide, well, is, is that really what I want to do? So we made some mistakes, I would say. So the first one is, the first thing we employed was a data scientist. And then we realized, hmm, we have this very expensive person here, 
and it doesn't have access to data. So we need a data engineer. So we actually employed the data engineer after that. And then we found out, well, one data engineer is not enough. We need basically three. So we would need three full-time data engineers that they would provide enough data that data scientists could work basically full-time on data science. And 80% of the time you do data integration and 10% project management. And the sophisticated art of data science is probably 5% of your day. So it's not, <laughs> as you would think, you sit all day, all day in office and do fancy machine learning algorithms. So do not only consider the infrastructure, also consider the team which is necessary. And from my point of view, the absolute core is at least one data scientist, one data engineer, and one guy who is the data leader. So he, some sort of manager who protects the team. And with that, you can start. But those people have to have the mentality that, that they do everything. Like you can't say I'm a data scientist. I don't do data engineering. That doesn't happen in those teams. So that's the first one. And then you can compare it basically. And I have to say, so just this year, I implemented, for example, a customer data platform, which is nothing else than a data lake for marketing. And here, the calculation was pretty easy. So we did the data lake calculation. We did the CDP calculation. And the CDP was so much cheaper. And the time frame was so much shorter that the company basically decided, let's go for the CDP. Can you just for our listeners, CDP? Yeah, so a customer data platform, which basically integrates all marketing channels. So for example, Google Analytics, your CRM system, your customer service system, everything into one software as a service application. So, and the cool thing is, you don't need to tackle data integration because the platform does it for you. And that's an important thing because I have to say in the first year, our data engineer basically spent full time and over hours building data pipelines. And this costs you a lot of money. And this is the calculation you have to do. There will be some companies like Gardner, which basically tell you, okay, if you, they have like this, this formulas, which is like, if you invest more than 30% of your turnover into marketing purposes, then build it and don't buy it. That's a thumb of rule, I would say. But in the end, it's a cost calculation and a time calculation. So if you, if you can accept that it takes time, then it's fine to, to build it by your own. But in many cases, you will find you can accelerate much quicker with a, with a given platform. So that's one thing. And the other, other thing is uh, the, the landscape is so diverse. So when I started, so there's this famous big data landscape, you maybe know it, which visualizes all the applications which are out there. We started off with a few, few hundred, I think. And if you look at the chart right now, it's a few thousand. So it's crazy how many applications are out there for very specialized use cases. So it's maybe also good to have a look at this landscape, which use cases you want to have, and talk to a few clients first. And also talk to your peers. So invite other companies who already started this journey and get inspired what they did and which lessons they learned. So that's a very important aspect, I would say. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So if I got it correctly, what you said, like in the best case, you start with a CEO being really motivated, really being following this idea and seeing the benefit of, of the possibilities of artificial intelligence for the company. And then he said, you start out with this core unit to some extent, right? So as you said, like data owner to someone and a project owner in this sense, a data engineer, data scientist, which you can then scope the first use cases, see like what is really the potential there. Like, and to me, they either go like to build something internally or to see what can we to some way use as a, as a service platform outside there. One question that I would have to this as well is like, you often hear, like in, in many big companies at least, that digitalization and the application or the successful application of artificial intelligence is in many ways like a transformation of the whole company, meaning that like the whole company needs to adapt and really then to see the to to see the business and really make use of it. From from your experience, thinking about in smaller companies, how much do you see this as a challenge there? Because as you said, right, you can relatively click quickly maybe if you say, okay, you build this small unit and they maybe do this planning. From your experience, how much, how difficult is it then to take the rest of the company with them in many ways onto this journey? And what can they do to accelerate this and, and support yes. it? Yes, I mean, it's definitely a long-term journey, I would say. So the first one, let's take the ideal use case. We say we have a, we have a CEO who has a vision. I mean, any CEO should have a vision. So a long-term vision where they want to go to. Uh, I, for example, saw a visualization of Deutsche Bahn when they first time visualized their target, which was just a comic so that anybody in the company could understand what, what the journey should be. So what do we want to achieve with this project? It's not technical. It's a comic. 
And they basically said, we have loads of sensor data of trains, we have lo loads of sensor data of stations, and in the end, we want to improve the service to our clients. And that's something anybody can understand in a company. Mm. And then you could say, okay, either I built this in-house, or you, that's also what I offer in my company, is an ad hoc analysis. So if you're not sure, let's do a small project, analyze data, and if you want to convince your CEO, it's maybe also the right approach to say, look, we had a look at the first data set, we see an impact there, an added value for our business, and maybe that's the starting point for the CEO to go this, this journey. But then, from, from my point of view, this is an evolution. So from year to year, you will update your vision. That's exactly what we did at Swarovski as well. And you will adapt to targets. But the thing is, you have to break it down, right? You have to break this down to projects. And the projects have to fulfill a purpose of the vision. So this means you have a long-term long goal, for example, with, the, with this gap analysis, you identify specific deficits, which you try to get rid of with specific projects. And then you know, okay, I'm building the pillars of my analytics platform. And with that, that's very important. People have to be trained. So people need to understand why are we even doing this? What's my role and responsibility in this? So the worst things I see is people imp or companies implement applications and nobody uses it. So maybe you've also seen it in your experience. For example, a CRM implementation, it costs your fortune and nobody uses it because nobody was there who, who tackled the issues and concerns of the employees. So that's very important. So from my point of view, either this is offered by the implementation partner so that they say, okay, we, we, take, we take you on a journey together and we will basically do a knowledge transfer from our company to your company or the big cloud platforms offer also training services. So Google, Microsoft, and Amazon, Amazon, they have their own training programs, which you can consume online, and that's also feasible. And maybe just to mention a side project. So when I started at Swarovski, we had these very expensive trainings. We sent people for several days somewhere, which cost you thousands of euros, and then they do a certification, and then basically they're sent home, and we switched this approach. So basically, we, we switched to a Udemy license, for example, a corporate license. So they could consume any video for any topic they wanted. The rule was don't do it during work. It was blocked, basically. In, or it, it was a discussion if you block it in the internal network. But if you decide, I want to do a certification for a specific topic, let's say programming, you can do so, but we just have to invest in, in, into the exam, which is a few hundred bucks. And this was tremendous because people could educate themselves on any topic. And we just said, okay, there, there is this path for you, your career path. And if you want to go this path, you have to fulfill those exams. And we basically care about your education that you can basically support the, the company. So that's, that's definitely very important from my point of view. And as I said, it's a multi-year project. Or, and I think it's an ongoing topic which never leaves you so you would would digitalize even more and even more makes a lot of sense but then maybe let's talk about what we already touched upon as well as like modern services or like as we currently or at least over the last few years now we have seen a lot of what now in general is generative ai so many possibilities of, of new models new services and similar that's going to the field of like things that in the past really have would have been a specialist like an visual artist or someone similar in many ways now can be used by people maybe with domain knowledge but not the knowledge for example to or to implement certain things and i wanted a bit your perspective on what you think like how is this going to affect exactly a bit like how what impact is going to have on SMEs, maybe on one side. And on the other side, if you can, although it's very difficult, obviously look a bit into the future and see what you think, where we are heading. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So upfront, so times are really interesting, especially since GPT was launched. I think every domain, every employee in every branch realized what's happening now at the market. You see a really, really huge hype. Um, it even had an impact in several companies I work together with. So the first one was content creation, definitely, for websites, blogs, stuff like that. And also, my personal experience, so if I code with Python, it helps me to solve problems much quicker. It gives me diff different perspectives on coding. So that's a big point, big plus, I would say. And also to answer general questions. So let's say you're a project manager and you don't know about a specific approach in project management, you can quickly ask ChatGPT and you get quickly an answer, a pretty sophisticated one. And just yesterday, I watched a press conference for GPT-4. It will be even more powerful. And so that's something you have to deal with. 
Uh, even at universities, we currently discuss how to deal with the topic because every student will use it. So should we use it in the lectures? We answered it with yes. We have to teach people about it. The second one is definitely artificial intelligence with Midjourney, for example, or Dolly. So in most companies, I know the creative services completely changed. So initially, you would give a designer a briefing. So let's take example website design. So you have something in your head, but you can't really explain it. And the designer asks you, what do you think? Yeah, it should be green. It should be orange. I want the navigation. I want this or I want that. And he tries to find out what you want. But with Midjourney, for example, you can do something like this within minutes. So you wouldn't have to wait hours or days or weeks until you get a first design. I still remember days in the web agency, we created a design which took, uh, took us quite a long time and then the customer didn't like it because you don't have this iterative approach. With this, you can basically create many different designs and bring it to your designer and say, look, that's the look and feel I want to have. That's the approach I want to go to. And the designer can still give you his professional experience on that. So is it feasible? Yes or no? And I see also other areas like ads. This is crazy what's happening in ads. So you can write copy. You can create images for ads very, very quickly in different formats and sizes, which accelerates this tremendously. And especially in marketing, I see so many AI applications which embed this already. So for example, you upload one image and it transfers this into many different images in many different sizes, which you can use for your, ad, for your ads. So that's huge. And I think that's the first time people understand the power of neural networks and it opens somehow a door to a new world, I would say. Some people are afraid of it, but I think in general, you have to deal with the technology and embrace it because it will not disappear disappear anymore so that's definitely a thing and what else do i see yeah just with the press conference i mean yesterday they said basically you upload one image and it generates a full website for you so now imagine if you close yourself to digitalization i mean there will be hundreds and thousands of people who use this, this technology know how to use prompts I think that's a very important skill you have to learn right now, advanced prompting, prompting how to use a system, and then you can get a lot of benefits out of those systems. Mm -hmm. Makes a lot of sense. I'm just thinking in description in many ways, like in which way this will result in people just, as you said, like doing those things to some extent by themselves. So uh, someone who has like a certain business has certain ideas but up to now was not able to as you create create certain content and now they simply have the possibility of using those tools to create those contents or in many or to some extent do you think it's going to be more like the same content creators now can use this tool to be just quicker with their work so obviously this is going to be a spectrum right there are so two and the other but same way, like I would imagine like 20 years ago or something, like everyone who was in, in the slightest management position had like to some extent someone help a secretary or similar to do very basic things like organize your calendar, write some emails, do this and that, right? And nowadays everyone does it by themselves because everyone wants to do it. They know they are quicker, they want, and everyone can do it. And to some extent in which way this type of technology is going to push exactly this forward. So to reduce, like to make each individual of us more capable and like extend the scope of the things that people can do with the same enemies by themselves. Well, if I look at an average person currently on the market, the, the understanding of the technical side of things is isolated to a few percentage of the people. But with technologies like this, so they're so easy to use, you don't really need to understand what's happening in the background. And basically anybody can use it for their own purposes, no matter if it's private or business. So I'm completely on your side. So people will use it for their private purposes. They will use it for business purposes. They will use it to get additional insights into topics. So that's definitely going to happen. And my mission, at least at university, is to teach people how to use it. So to tell them, okay, there is this technology, no matter what you study. So I don't care if you study finance, controlling, marketing, whatever, you have to deal with, the, with these topics because in the end, it's a competitive advantage on the market. It will accelerate your work. I have this funny side note. So I once met an employee. She was basically doing, so she was copying voucher codes from an e-commerce system to an email marketing solution. So that was her job, like full day. And I was asking her, didn't you ever think that this could be automized? 
And she said, ah, I don't care because I'm an expedition leader for the North Pole. So the company gives, gives me three months off. And for that, I would, I would do anything. So she, did, she didn't even think about if she could automate this work. And then I asked her, well, what would you say if I tell you we can automate this in two days? What would you do with your work? And she was kind of surprised because she, she couldn't believe that this is possible. And that's exactly what I would tell people. So if you have repetitive tasks all over and over again, that's exactly the stuff you want to get rid of. And if you, and then the question is, what do you do with your free time then? So what do you do with the time you gained? I think in the long term, people will work less. So the 40-hour work week, it's already on the discussion. I think people will work less but more efficient. Whereas in my experience in Japan, it was the opposite. People worked 70 hours per week or more. They spent the majority of their time in a company, but they were not really efficient because they were sleeping at work. They were dealing loads of stuff, private stuff at work, but it's culture. It's the culture there. And on the other side, I see countries like China with 996 philosophy. So they work so hard and so many hour, over hours. And this gives them also a competitive advantage over Europe, basically. So I think in the end, it's very important that you automate stuff and it doesn't really matter where and when. And I still remember the Google press conference when they introduced a new system, which basically can call a haircutting studio to make an appointment for you. And it was so creepy to people that they never released it. So they just now announced that they would integrate it in the Google Pixel phones for specific services. But it was there you could see it's just over the top. And we can just now imagine what's in the pipeline. So I think there are many interesting applications in the pipeline which will be released very soon. And it's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So like in this sense, like this exposure that people now have, like let's say people that have not been experts have not been on this field now the exposure to these capabilities of those systems going is going to probably lower the threshold that other companies have to exactly as you mentioned use maybe technologies like google 10 years ago was not unable to bring into the market maybe now we will be able to to be applied and people are not going to be resisting against it so when I started, basically, if you were a programmer, you were, were a nerd and people thought you were a nerd, like you, you eat bad stuff, you drink bad stuff. So <laughs> there were very few exceptions, but now everything changed. So everybody is basically talking about ChatGPT. Everybody understands the power of it. And with that, and I embrace this, also the image of programmers changed. And I'm happy for that because now people understand how important technology is. I like initiatives like Entirel, the coding for kids. So they start teaching kids for coding. I think that's vital for the future. So it's it's kind of a very interesting journey at the moment to see what's happening on the market and that everybody jumps on this train. Yeah, definitely makes sense. Interesting times. Well, with this, thank you very much. I think we have been covering many interesting fields. As we said already, they, there are certain challenges, definitely for SMEs to to be really taking like to embrace like the powers and the possibilities of artificial intelligence I think we have been highlighting many of them very nicely maybe for our listeners as you said like you see exactly your mission with your company to help them on this path how do they best reach out to you best would be either LinkedIn so you can find my company Stoic Analytics or myself Mario Tutta or my website www.stoic-analytics.com and let me know if I can help you with anything. With this, I want to thank you very much for coming onto the show. It's been a pleasure. And I hope you're going to have the opportunity to enjoy the rest of the South 21. Definitely. Thank you so much. 